Baseball's great charm is that the action comes in spurts, which leaves plenty of time to spin yarns, look at the girls, and make wisecracks. Hey folks, thank you very much for taking the time to tune in. This is Full Count Chaos. I'm Nathan Andrews, and of course you can reach me anytime that you please. FullCountChaos at gmail.com. I apologize, I didn't upload an episode last week. Uh, Things got a little messed up with the schedule. I was supposed to have Jeremy Kahn on from 105.7 this week, but the day that I was going to have him on was the NFL draft. (laughs) I think him and I both forgot. He's going to come on next week, talk Orioles. I'm sure we're going to talk about the Ravens. Look, he's coming on a week after the draft happened, so I'm sure we'll get into that. Hallelujah! By the way, the Orioles have won a game. I'm recording this Friday night. They have just won six to nothing. What does this mean? Does this mean that they're good? No. Does it mean that Tillman's turned the corner? Absolutely not. Even bad teams win. All right, Chris Tillman, as well as Chris Davis, many mysteries of the world, these guys. You know, how does a blind man know when he's finished wiping his ass? We just don't know. We don't know what's happening with these situations. A lot of friends text me. I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about, here we go. This is it. (laughs) Look, even bad teams win every now and then. That old saying, even a broken watch is right twice a day. I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, but we're 7-19. and That's not a good start, but keep going. All right, it's not like we just climbed above five. We're one game above 500, and we're trying to get back on track. But hey, where do you start? You start with a win, and that's what they did tonight. Very strange. Bundy has a terrible game. I mean, you know, if I looked when I looked at the schedule the past couple days, I was like, well, we'll get the win from Bundy, and then Tillman's just going to shit all over the bed. Anyway, uh, first off, congrats to Sean Minaya uh, for pitching a no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox this past week. Who would have thought? Who would have thought the best offense in baseball in the month of April? I would have for sure put all my money on the Orioles. I was so tired the first couple weeks of when I was watching Oriole games, my baseball app would be vibrating every single game, giving me alerts that the O's were getting no hit through six. I would turn my phone off during Oriole games. All right, they're hitting, starting to come back. But the first few weeks, it was like, mm, 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 mm. my phone just vibrating, letting me know, yes, yes, I know, the Orioles are getting no hit through six. I get it. But I'd like to get your feedback on this, speaking of no hitter. All right, and again, you can reach me, fullcountcast at gmail.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, however it is you want to reach out, get involved in the show, feel free. But here's my question. Are no-hitters more important these days than injuries? All right, it's almost basically asking if they're overrated. And I'm going to ask Jeremy this next week. And it may sound like a stupid question, but now with the amount of money these teams spend on pitchers, is it worth the injury for a no-hitter? If they're really late in their pitch count. Uh, This past week, there was a couple no-hitters that were going on. And one of them that I was watching was Tyson Ross pitching for the Padres against the Diamondbacks. And it was the eighth inning. He was up to like 125 pitches, 130 pitches. I think he had one out to go. So as I was watching the no-hitter happen, I was tuning into the MLB Network. I love tuning into those guys, especially Friday night. Greg Amsinger, Dan Plesak, Harold Reynolds are just entertaining, very funny guys to tune into. But... They tapped into the game live, but you could still hear uh, Harold Reynolds and the guys talking about the no-hitter. And Harold and Dan both said, get him out of there. It's not worth it. He's got a career. 
He's at a high pitch count. Harold Reynolds even made a joke about, ah, so what? 20 years you're going to tell your grandchildren about how you had a no-hitter, but uh, how you had a short career because of it. Dan Plesak made a couple jokes the same way. <laughs> Greg Amsinger, the host of that show, couldn't believe what he was hearing. He said he's about to pitch a no-hitter. You can't take him out. So I don't know. Maybe that's old-school baseball. If I was a manager and I was in that position, I don't care what the pitch count is. I'm letting the pitcher go get his no-hitter. So I looked up. I I was just curious. Since 2010, that's as far as I went back. I didn't go back any further. I saw that there's 42 no-hitters the past eight seasons. That seems like a lot. 32 of them were single pitchers. One of them was uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. (laughs) So maybe it's not as difficult as we think it is. But 32. And I thought that was a lot. I would have thought maybe 10, 12, not 32. So, again, it would be a tough call for managers to pull pitchers these days. But the amount of money that they put in their players and pitchers, is it worth the injuries? Now, you talk to Jim Palmer about these pitch counts. Oh, he laughs about that. He laughs at the 100-pitch limit. I, I don't know why. There's a lot of people out there that don't like him. I love tuning in when Jim Palmer's calling a game. But, you know, he always talks about how he used to throw 180 pitches. He used to pitch three times a week. <laughs> He had no problem. So when he sees, you know, managers panicking because they're over 100, he just, you know, he's shaking his head like, what the hell? Come on. And I was thinking about Jim Palmer. What's more impressive, his pitching career or his underwear ads? (laughs) Have you seen them, sons of bitches? I'm surprised I let those ads be in catalogs and on billboards on the side of the street. I mean, it was borderline porn. I got to go hashtag Palmer porn. (laughs) The guy had his pubes sticking out of his underwear. They didn't care. Hey, you wear a size large? Well, in this ag, we're going to give you a size medium. And what we need you to do is lay on your back, spread your legs, and put your hand on your head. That a boy, there's the money shot. There he is. When you're tuned in and he, he's calling a game, he, j- he just says it like it is. He'll even talk about Manny Machado when he doesn't run out uh, a fly ball or if he doesn't hustle to second. He will lay him out with his comments. And if he's with Jim Hunter, Jim Hunter and Mike Bordick together, it, it, it is Awful to listen to. Those two are, they they both sound like Mr. Rogers. They sound like they're calling a Little League game and they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. The other night, Jim Palmer was really getting on Manny. Uh, What was he getting him off? I I think, oh, that's right. It was a um, one out pop fly and Manny just kept running the bases like a Little Leaguer. And for a couple innings, Palmer kept bringing it up. Like it really bothered him. But, you know, Jim Hunter, highly held. Here we go. Doesn't matter if we're down 10 to nothing. I got to give it to the Orioles. They're really doing a great job. Like the other night, I think it was Tillman last week. Or no, who? Cobb. Cobb was pitching. And who was? Uh, Gary Thorne was the one calling the game with Mike Bordick. And Gary Thorne was like, oh, Cobb's giving up 10 hits and five runs. And his ERA is like 13. And Bordick goes, yeah, but he only had one walk. You got to love that. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. All right, as I'm calling this uh, podcast here, or uh, recording it, the Orioles are 7-19. and 19. Everyone can eat shit! A big bag of shit! All right, it's the second worst start in club history. I'm sure you know that. Only better than the 2-23 uh, and 23 start in 1988. You know what? Prove to the fans you mean business by making a dramatic move. All right, what I mean by that is, look, I know fans overreact like a son of a bitch. Their favorite team loses. They want everyone to be fired. Their favorite team wins. They think every player is a Hall of Fame player and they're the greatest team that's ever played the game. I get it. 
But some someone needs to go. Someone does need to get fired. All right, even Dan Connolly wrote in an article a few days ago, which I like following him as well. Very informative about a lot of information with the Orioles. He even said, look, I, I don't like firing. I don't like people getting fired, but something has to happen. Show the fans that you mean business. And I know the O's, unfortunately, that's not their steeds. That's not what they do. But some way, somehow, they need to make a statement. Let the fans know. Look, we don't like this shit either. A lot of people are talking about trade Manny. Get him out of here. <laughs> not saying get him out of here because he's bad, but trade him. Get what you can. The, the season's over. They would look like a bunch of jackasses if they did that right now. Duquette was all in when he paid money to Cobb. It's only April, so they're not going to do that. A lot of people want Cal Ripken as the manager. Look, Hall of Fame won't help this team right now. Again, Duquette put a terrible team together. No depth on the team. One or two people get injured. The team is fucked. That's it. There is no depth. Duquette definitely needs to go before the big decisions come in, in June and July. Get him out of there, please. Okay, you got some big decisions to make in the next couple months. This guy does not need to be in the room while you do it. Who's that going to be? I don't know. I don't Brady Anderson. Who knows? But it can't be Duquette. All right, the offense looks like it's coming around. That's a good sign. They uh, scored 10 runs in two games. All right, one of the games they lost. The other, of course, tonight they won. Actually, uh, they scored 11 runs. I'm sorry. Six tonight, five last night. O's hit four double plays the other night and Thursday. That's not good. I I know when we win, everybody's happy right now. We're still 7-19. and This team is doing everything a bad team does. And I tell everybody, bad teams win sometimes, too. I mean, they are so dysfunctional. And for the love of Jesus Christ, please bench Davis or drop him to the eight spot. I don't understand why Buck keeps putting him in the five spot. If people are like, oh, he's giving a big fuck you to Duquette, well, we'll knock that off. Grow up. If that's what he's doing, which I don't think that's what Buck's doing. He had he did make a couple moves this year of holding up his middle finger to Duquette and being like, if these are the guys you're giving me, all right, here you go. But I don't think Davis is one of them. I just think he's loyal to his guys. He wants to show that he's got confidence in Davis. Knock that shit off. I don't know. Nobody knows what's going on with him, but he is literally an automatic out. It's like a little league game. Every time he gets a base hit or if he doesn't strike out in a game, people are like, he's coming around. No, that's not what coming around is. Coming around is like three for four with two doubles, a home run. Doing that a couple times. Couple games, two for four, three for four, four for four, doubles, home runs, singles. No, just because he gets a, a lucky little fly ball in the left field doesn't mean he's coming around. You can't hide him. You, you, you've already, you're spending the money, whether he's hitting you 50 home runs or he's striking out 50 times a week. You're spent. The money is spent. All right, bench Davis for a couple days to let fans know that you don't like what he's doing. And then with Cobb, oh, dear God, people are saying you bought a 2.0. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I don't think Alex Cobb is uh, Ubaldo 2.0. I know he didn't have a spring training. Man, spring training is way, way, way underrated. If missing a few outings in uh, the the month of March, in February, this is what happens. Cobb currently at a 13.11 ERA and 11 and two-third innings. Now, who would have guessed that Tillman was going to get the first win between the two? That's what I thought was pretty funny. Uh, Cobb's allowed 10 hits in each of his first three starts. That's not good. He's got no command on his fastball. (laughs) 
He always he he that guy looks like he snorted a bunch of Adderall before he came out on the mound. He's just looking around all wide eyed, like what the fuck am I doing here? How do I get all this money? This is crazy. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to pitch anymore, and I got to do this for four years. Orioles have now been outscored. The other day, this was back I think Wednesday or Thursday. They've been outscored twenty eight to seven in the first inning. I don't know what it is about the first inning. I remember a few years ago, it was always a sixth inning. Like our pitchers would get into the sixth inning with like a two and three run lead and they give up three runs before you even knew what happened. And it was always the sixth inning. Now it's the first inning. That was the first win Tillman had in, what they say, 22 games? <laughs> before tonight, 17 innings, 30 hits, 19 runs. That's not good. I still say he's like any other awful pitcher. Every now and then, he would just get by. Every now and then. Kevin Galsman, he goes out, pitches a gem Monday, eight innings pitch, seven strikeouts, seventh inning. He threw nine pitches and nine strikes to get out of the inning. <laughs> he has a new windup. Good for him. Maybe the new windup's helping him out. This is how bad the Orioles are doing, by the way. This is how bad they're doing. This cracks me up. On Pardon the Interruption, I can't believe that show's still going on ESPN. I love that show, okay? As much as T- Tony Kornheiser annoys me, I-, I think they're all entertaining. They did a segment about MLB teams uh, tanking on purpose. And the Orioles are playing so bad that the Orioles were on the topic of thinking (laughs) they're tanking for high draft picks because of how bad they're playing. (laughs) That's not good. When you have a show on ESPN thinking that you're doing this on purpose because you want high draft picks, which again, baseball, when it comes to draft picks, it rarely works out. And I did look that up, and 66% of first-round picks play in the major leagues. You go to the second round, 49%. You go to uh, rounds three and five, 32%. Round six to 10, 20%. So, again, I don't know any team who would do that, although the Houston Astros, they did it perfectly. Now, when it comes to the offense, CamdenChat.com, article by Tyler Young. Got to give him a shout-out. It's a great article. He uh, said 226 strikeouts so far. For this Orioles offense, second most in MLB behind the San Diego Padres, which they're a shit show too. Orioles have a league low 215 batting average. Of the 2035 strikes Orioles hitters have faced, 22.5% of them have come from swings and misses. Highest of all 30 Major League Baseball teams. Chan Sisko's another guy I'm trying to figure out. I mean, he, he showed some uh, uh, good moments. He threw a couple guys out the other night. I think three in one night. But pitchers are starting to realize that Chan Cisco can't hit a curveball at all. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. And then the other night, he's trying to get a guy out at third. Throws, I mean, he was 10 feet off the mark. Throws it down third baseline. Chan Cisco, somebody needs to work with him on how to hit a curveball. I saw on Twitter only 29.6% of the balls they hit have been classified as hard contact. I forgot who posted that, but... I jotted that down the notes. I'm like, are you shitting me? 29% of the Orioles' hits have been classified as hard contact, which is one of the five lowest rates in the MLB. That's hard to comprehend because the Orioles are known for just smashing the ball. I mean, everyone other than Manny has soft outs. All right, the bats are starting to pick up a little bit. Pedro Alvarez had two home runs tonight. That was great to see. But, man, if a ball is out of the zone a little bit, Pedro does not go with the pitch. 
He, it seems like he's got alligator arms. No matter if the pitch is a little outside the plate and he swings at it, he's about four and a half feet away from the ball when he swings. So I don't know. They're just so boring to watch. They put me to sleep. If I'm tired and I can't get to sleep, I'll rewatch the game. <laughs> I'll record it instead of like getting out a book. I'll just go downstairs, turn on the Oriole game that I recorded, and I'm out by the third inning. And by the way, Danny Valencia, he may be coming around, but boy, he cannot hit right-handed pitchers. Pitcher th- <laughs> the other night, I can't remember who was pitching to him. Holy hell. Three balls right down the middle. He backs away. He's like, thinking the ball's going to hit him right in the jaw. Goes right in the strike zone. He's out. See you later. Boy, did he look bad. And then I can't wait to see his face, Otani. We got to go to L.A. (laughs) in a couple nights. That's going to be fun. That motherfucker. What the hell kind of Wheaties is that guy eating? I just watched him hit a uh, 420-foot home run. It's a 97 ball in on his hands. He turned on it and hit over the wall and just completely destroyed it. And this is a guy that we got to face in a couple nights. Oh, that's going to be fun. All right, let's see who has balls of steel this week. I've got balls of steel. It's pretty easy. Going with Manny Machado. I was looking up his stats and Rockabaco made it easy for me. He posted a a tweet and I'm going to read it word for word. And I logged on just getting ready to uh, look and see what he was doing, so he made it easier for me. He said, Manny Machado ranks second in the American League with a 356 average, 36 hits, third with 16 extra base hits, tied for third with nine home runs, and tied for six with 20 RBIs. The guy is just tearing it up. And what I love and what I've seen him do lately, guy on second, guy on third, <clears throat> less than two outs, and he's not always trying to hit the 400-foot home run. The guy's got a great swing, and I love it when he just goes with the pitch and hits it in right field. Nice little roller out to the right fielder. By the time he picks it up, our guy's already home. Just great base hitting. The guy's tearing it up in shortstop. And I get a lot of people are, like, getting angry with Manny Machado. You know, you should go back to third. You see that we're not doing well at third base and our defense is hurting us, so you need to go back to third base and help us out. Look, they, they told Manny. Manny asked. I don't know how, how strong the demand was. I mean, I don't read or hear any rumors about how he busted down the door and said, I'm playing shortstop or I'm not playing at all. He asked and they said, sure. So I don't blame Manny for not kind of volunteering and say, hey, uh, since you guys don't know how to put together a team and figure out your third base, uh, let me go back over there and help you out. You know, what's going to happen next if they can't find a second baseman? He's going to go, all right, I'll go over to second base and help out. I mean, Manny can only do so much, all right? It's not his fault that Dan Duquette couldn't figure out what was going to happen with third base. He knew Manny was going to go to shortstop, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. (laughs) You never know. The marriage between Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette, who the hell knows what's going on? From what I hear, and it's not like I got a bunch of inside scoops. I got a one or two in there, but... From what I hear, they don't exa- they don't exactly uh, go out to dinner every other night. They're not exactly inviting each other to Thanksgiving dinner. I don't think they're sending each other Christmas cards. <laughs> they're just trying to do their job, go home, earn a paycheck, and that's it. They're, <laughs> they're not best buddies on Twitter. But I don't blame Manny for, for not volunteering, or I don't blame Buck for putting Manny back to third. I mean, what kind of shit is that? I mean, it's basically saying, look, we've got one guy. Hey, can you play a couple positions? And then if it doesn't work out for shortstop, we'll move you back there. Enough's enough. 
And I know I, I said last week or the week before it was kind of ironic that one of the best third basements that has ever played the game is not playing third base. I think no matter where you put Manny in the infield, he'd do a hell of a job. I even think first base, too. He'd dig a few out of the dirt. The guy just knows how to play some fucking baseball. God, I hear that all the time. Shame on Manny. Shame on him. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. Shame on Manny. Keep him at shortstop. He's doing just fine. I don't care. It's not his fault they can't figure this shit out. I just know when it comes time to trade Manny, they don't screw that up. Oh, my God. What a waste that would be. Now, if the Orioles somehow, some way, turn it around, let's say in mid-June, we're five games back from first. Let's just, we're having fun here. We're playing what if. What do they do? What do they do with Manny? Should they have traded Manny before then? Some people say they should trade Manny in the the next few weeks, in the next month. (laughs) But that would be interesting. Hey, we had Manny on the team last year and we finished last. I think I'm more interested in seeing what they're going to do with Manny than whether or not this team's going to turn things around. And I hope they're competitive. I hope it's August baseball and, you know, four, even eight games back. At least there's a chance. Coming up this week, we're going to L.A., going to the West Coast. Those are always fun games. And every year I always say the same thing probably you do. I'm only going to watch one or two innings. And then before you know it, it's midnight. You're into the fifth inning. But I promise this time I'm not going to watch the whole game. Uh, the Angels played the New York Yankees the other night, uh, last night that I was watching. That was Thursday. And it was like a playoff atmosphere. You almost feel that those definitely are teams that are going to see each other probably in October, depending on the situation. But, you know, the Angels stadium's packed. Yankees are winning. Angels are winning. They're just going back and forth. It was just a great game. It's always fun to watch Mike Trout, Didi Didi Gregorius, as much as I don't like him. Because he's on the Yankees. He's probably a great guy. But the New York Yankees, man, good Lord. They've won like eight in a row. They are on fire. They're fifth in batting average in the league. First on base percentage. First in runs. First in home runs. First in slugging percentage. I mean, they're just tearing it up. When you see how good they play, it's so strange to think that the Orioles, how bad we're playing, went into New York and beat them three out of four. I mean, the way that they were playing, I, I, they hit a little cold spot, I think, of that. We hit them literally at the perfect time, the perfect four days that they hit a cold patch. I think if we played them now, we'd probably get swept in New York. That's just the way, obviously, they're playing compared to how we're playing. But if we didn't win three out of four, oh, boy, it'd be we'd have the worst uh, record in baseball right now. The New York Yankees just swept the Twins. I think it's funny. The Twins lost like eight in a row, and I'm happy. Happy as hell to see that, especially the way that they reacted after they played us a couple weeks ago about trying to blame, uh, who was it, Chancisco for bunting when there wasn't even no hitter. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. So that's kind of exciting. The uh, Cincinnati Reds, who have the worst record in baseball and apparently is the worst team in baseball compared to all the stats, they just beat the Twins like 15-10 to 10 in Minnesota. Things aren't going well for them. But who gives a shit because things aren't going well for the Orioles. Things just are not working out. And one of the things that bugs me lately is knowing that we have such a shitty offense this year, I'm constantly seeing highlights of a Nelson Cruz on Seattle. He's still lighting it up. He's got five home runs. He's batting 290, 11 RBIs. This was the year 
that Duquette didn't want to sign him for because he said, oh, I only wanted to give him three. Nelson wanted four. They passed. And I remember me as well as a lot of other fans and and sports writers said, look, even if Nelson Cruz just gives him two good years out of the four, it's still a decent signing. I mean, he was loved in the locker room. He was just a good guy. He was always a threat at the plate. Should have given him the money. Should have given Manny the money. Instead, it's just ironic because the, the big signing, the big deal, went to a guy who can't hit for shit. Obviously, Chris Davis. And then Ryan Flaherty leaves. He's lighting it up. <laughs> These are guys that we could use on the offense. Nelson Cruz was just a monster. He was a beast at the plate, and he's doing it still four years after he leaves the team. And he's probably going to continue to play in the league. God dang it. Oh, boy. So good good for Nelson. He was such a good guy. I got to meet him uh, because the season tickets a friend of the family has, I've mentioned before, we sit right down where the players are, and anytime he was in shouting distance, basically, <laughs> I would say his name, walk over to him and start a conversation, and he would talk. He loved to talk. He was always smiling, always cool with the fans. So I was really sad to see him go a few years ago. That was not a good day for me when he left. Hey, off the topic of baseball, <laughs> which might happen time to time this year without bad the Orioles are, if there's anything else you ever want to talk about, I'm a big UFC fan. Also, I love watching documentaries, So, and that's what I'm about to tell you about, a documentary that I came across that I think you might like. Uh, so, by the way, if you ever see a great show on Netflix or if you ever saw a great movie or a documentary or whatever it is that you think I might like, give me a heads up because uh, throughout the year, I'm going to give you guys a heads up. I saw the uh, documentary Andre the Giant. Very interesting. I liked it. Um, I haven't been a wrestling fan since I was 12 years old, and I'm not trying to insult wrestling. I'm not saying because I outgrew it. I have friends who are in their 40s and 50s who love it. They still go to the live shows. They have a great time. If I had a chance to go to a live show, I probably still would. I just, I think when I turned 12, I, I fell in love with, I don't know, titties and <laughs> professional sports. So I just got away from wrestling. And if you're a wrestling fan, and if you can remind me, because I was thinking about this when I was watching the documentary. This was like the early 90s, like 90, 91. I was watching WCW. And I was always curious why WCW was so popular. Because WWF, I always thought, was the go-to. That was the mainstream. Everybody loved WWF. What happened? I forgot why WCW became so popular. That wound up shit in the bed. And then WW, well, it's now WWE, Came into the picture, but anyway, I used to love that. Sting, Ravishing Rick Rude, Ron Simmons, man, I Rick Steiner. It was so much fun. Every Saturday morning, I'd wake up, watch some WCW. I loved how they did the top 10 <laughs> fighters, the champion, and I always was so mad because Sting would never be able to beat Ravishing Rick Rude. He used to piss me off so bad, but Andre the Giant documentary definitely definitely take a look at it it's on hbo it's not netflix by the way it's hbo and (laughs) one of the stories just cracked me up about the guy he was just obviously just gigantic everything about him he was enormous and he had a big house he had to spend a lot of money to buy custom furniture that could fit him bed chairs tables whatever it was because when you were a professional wrestler, they I think they said they traveled like 320 days out of the year. So they're always flying, always traveling. And 
when you're his size, you're always going to be uncomfortable. Hotels, airplanes, restaurants, cars, cabs, whatever it is, you're always going to be uncomfortable. So his life was basically a living hell. (laughs) One of the stories, if you've ever been on an airplane, their bathrooms are tiny as hell. I'm five foot nine, 200 pounds. And by the way, pure muscle, 200 pounds, but I've never had to take a shit in an airplane bathroom. And I don't know how I'd be able to, if I had to do that, they're just extremely small bathrooms. So obviously Andre, the giant, how big he was, he couldn't fit in those bathrooms. So what he'd have to do is <laughs> we get to the back of the plane, squat behind a curtain, take a big old dump in a bucket, and then the stewardess would have to empty it out in the bathroom. Now, you think you have a bad day at work, <laughs> emptying out the bucket of Andre the Giant taking a shit in. <laughs> Not very fun, and everybody on the plane was pissed off because the plane would just be stinking. And also, he I didn't realize this, he really... Hated Randy Savage, Macho Man. I mean, everybody loved the Macho Man back in the day, but he couldn't stand him. And apparently every time Randy Savage and Andre the Giant would fight each other in the ring, Andre the Giant would literally beat the shit out of him. (laughs) Like, those guys would just get destroyed. And I know wrestling's fake, but those guys really do get broken bones and all sorts of injuries. But yeah, if you get a chance, look, even if you're not a wrestling fan, you know who Andre the Giant is. Definitely uh, check that out. And another thing I forgot to mention. I don't know if anybody was at the game. When was this? Uh, Two weeks ago. Wednesday when the Toronto Blue Jays came into Baltimore to play us. It was a Wednesday night. It was like 40 degrees. (laughs) This is very bizarre. I've had two people. And I was there that night. I've had two people tell me that the porn star Jenna Jameson was there. They said that they saw her taking photos with people in the club level. I, <laughs> that is so random. I tried to look that up. I, I was even asking people who I knew who were at the game as well, all 500 fans that were there. I'm just thinking to myself, I, I think those people just watch too much porn where every woman that they see with blonde hair, they think it's their favorite porn actress. How bizarre would that be? Jenna Jameson. I have no idea what she'd be at a uh, Toronto Blue Jay in Baltimore <laughs> baseball game in April in 40-degree weather. I don't know. I, I I didn't look her up on Wikipedia to see if she's dating somebody, if, if uh, Josh Donaldson is her fiancé or something like that. I thought she was married to um, uh, what, Tito Ortiz. That's what I thought he was married to. I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know if that is true, if Jenna Jameson was at Camden Yards. Not a big fucking deal, even if she was. Not big breaking news here. Oh, but anyway, we've got a long season ahead of us. I know Mark Viviano, if you ever follow him on Twitter, I know he's trying to keep the confidence, too. Every tweet he's he posts, it's hashtag long season. I don't know, 7-19. and 19. If we lose tomorrow, it's going to be 7-20. and 20. Kashner's pitching. I don't know. His record, I think, is 0-3 in Camden Yards. That's not good. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but again, next week, Jeremy Kahn from 105.7, the fan's going to be coming on the show. We're going to be talking Orioles, and every time he comes on, we we always have fun. I've had him on other podcasts, and, and we, we get off topic a lot. We talk about random shit. So I'm sure it's going to be fun. Again, don't forget, you can reach me anytime, fullcountchaos at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at fullcountchaos. Till next time, see you.